Revelation chapter 5, it says, In the center and around the throne were four living creatures, each covered with eyes front and back. And the first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over there with eyes and inside and out. And day and night, day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. You know, that God is still on the throne. He's still still receiving glory and worship. And it isn't a privilege and an honor to be able to be on the earth and, and then let these these prayers ascend to heaven just like the incense altar if you know your tabernacle you'll know the the altar of incense was right before the the holy of holies where the presence of God was that's how we get into the presence of God it's by giving him worship he's so worthy he's so worthy thank you God thank you Lord bless your holy and mighty name we thank you Father God you know, we can enter boldly into the presence of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. We now can, We don't have to go in sheepishly or wait on a priest to go in once a year. We can go in any time we want to go in. We can come boldly to the throne. And I want us to come boldly this morning with some prayer requests. I want you to stand, if you will, and I want you to be in agreement with me. You know, the Word of God says if any two agree about anything, it'll be done, Right? And it says, if we call for the elders of the church, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And we have some sick people, and they're not here because they're not feeling well. Right? But you know what? God's hand is, and His hand can just go through the atmosphere, can it? And God, we're sending forth our prayers, mighty God, because you are Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord God who heals each and every one of our diseases. Psalm 103.3 says, Not do you just forgive our sins, you heal our diseases. God, we thank you for the promise of your word. And Father, I lift up Rachel Lizcheck right now, Lord, who's struggling, Father God. And Father, I just pray, Father, that you will touch her body. And Lord, we just come against it. We just pray for that abscess to heal in her body. Father, that she will not need the surgery. Lord, we thank you for healing the mighty power of God flowing into her body in Charleston, South Carolina, now where she's at. We pray for for relief from the pain that she's in. We pray for peace for her husband, her mom, her dad, Lord, who are with her. Father, we just thank you for the healing power of God. Father, we lift Bill Birchfield, Lord, who had his knee replaced last week, guys. And, of course, you know he's doing awesome. But, God, we want speedy recovery. So, Lord, we pray for speedy recovery for Bill, supernatural, that he's going to amaze the doctors when he goes back and they're going to say, wow, we've never had anything heal this quickly. So, God, we thank you for healing the man of God, Lord, and and totally just giving him a stronger knee than he's ever had before. Not just a bionic knee, but, Lord, just healing muscles and tendons, Father, pain levels zero. Father, you can do this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. For Duke's mom, Lord, we just thank you for healing for her mother, Lord. We just praise you, Father God, that you can, we just send the word of God and we just say, heal her mom, Father God. You said we could live until we're satisfied. 
And God, I, that's the promise for her. She can live until she's satisfied. So, Lord, we thank you for that. For Nina Shazir's mom. Lord, she's asked us to pray for speedy recovery. Lord, I, you know what's, what her needs are. We pray for speedy recovery for Nina's mom. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. You're never, your word never returns void. Your word always accomplishes what it's sent to do. And, God, your word is healing. Your word is truth. You tell us that in John 17. Your word is truth. My word is truth. So, God, we declare healing and health and wholeness, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. For Father, we also, some of those in our church that, Lord, are just struggling with just some issues, John and Becky, Lord, as they've moved. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, for John's health to be restored to fullness and just give Becky the peace that she needs, Lord, in this time of, of just having to take care of everything, Lord. We just ask you to bless that wonderful couple, Father. And any others that we haven't mentioned, Lord, that maybe we're not aware of, you know who they are. All of those come under the umbrella of Impact Church carry the anointing for healing, Father. And we just thank you for it. And, Lord, we thank you for your word. I cannot thank you enough for your words, your promises, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to ask uh, Terry and Wayne. They know to be ready in season and out. <laughs> I'm going to ask them to come, and uh, Terry had something he wanted to read from the nation. I'm going to ask Wayne if he would pray for our nation this morning. It's good to be here this morning. Yes. I thank God for healing, and I thank God for medical technology, Uh, and I feel fantastic this morning. Praise God. We were listening to Dutch Sheets yesterday, and, and we know this in this church. You've heard this for years. It doesn't take but a remnant of Christians to pray for God to move. We don't have to have 100 million, 200 million Christians in prayer in this nation for God to begin to shift this nation. He only looks for a remnant. And there is a remnant praying. This church is praying constantly. There are churches around this nation praying throughout the week. They're on their knees. They're seeking God. And we're witnessing right now a turnaround, and I, it's just amazing. Deborah, it is amazing. And, and despite what the pundits may have to say, 80% of small businesses are now open. 80%. New business applications have doubled since late March. In the middle of COVID, new business applications have doubled. America's economy is coming back much stronger than ever anticipated by most people, almost all people, because these numbers are being doubled and tripled over what was thought would be possible. I thank God that the church is praying. If the church had not prayed during this, my Lord, where would we have been? We have built under this administration the greatest economy in the history of the world, And now we're doing it again. In Deuteronomy 28, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. If we simply obey the Lord and follow his commands. I want to read some of a prayer by by Dutch Sheets. Thank you that we are, you are, you God are quickly turning our nation's economy around. 
You have not left us to starve. Things could have been so bad. With the economy crashing so hard and fast, I am sure that the nation's enemies were watching like vultures waiting to pick us off. However, that was not your plan. Hallelujah. We can praise God for that. That was not your plan, God. And we are grateful. It looks like we're headed back into a recovery as fast as it turned downward. We want to thank you for your wisdom, for giving us a businessman as the president throughout this season. We are sure that politicians would not have known what to do to get us back on track. Dear God, if we had politicians running this nation now, we would be gone. That's just my addition to that. Thank God we had a man that understands finances and business. President Trump, you can say hello, hallelujah on that if you want to. It's okay. President Trump was not afraid. He has tried to navigate a very sensitive balance between opening things up economically and keeping people safe in their health. There have not been any easy answers, but the numbers show us such a benefit. God, keep Americans well and whole as we get back to work. Let us be careful to follow the parameters we have learned so we can prosper in the middle of this viral attack. We know that you, God, are ultimately the one our praise goes to. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, you birthed the greatest nation on the planet. You did that. No man can take it down. No man, no evil, no matter what's trying to come against the United States of America, they cannot do it. The reason they cannot do it is because you have praying people. We have praying saints. We have prayer warriors. And again, it's the church that guides the nation. We don't need the government. The government needs us. We got this through our prayers, through God answering our prayers. Father, help us to understand who we are in you. Help us understand what you have, the responsibility that you have laid upon us as the body of Christ. To pray without ceasing. To pray for our president. That our prayers guide him in the direction that you would have him to go, Father. That he's not looking to some man for answers. He's looking to God Almighty. He's looking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, I know you're speaking to President Trump. I know you're guiding him, Father. I'm praying for this nation to not as a matter of fact, I'm praying for the body of Christ to not be divided this year. I'm praying that we be on the same page through it all. Let us come together. Let us come together as one and pray for this nation and pray that the man that you want in office will still be in office. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for this hour. We were not afraid from beginning to end. We stepped out in prayer. We came against the enemy like we were supposed to. We didn't cower back. We didn't hide. We didn't crawl up on the rock. No, no, no. We are prayer warriors. We ran to the battle. And now look at us, Father. Our prayers are being answered. Our prayers are being answered, Father. Because that's the kind of God we serve. Thank you. Thank you for impact. And churches like impact that continue to pray through it all. We didn't let division come in. It's like the enemy wanted division to come in. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are more than conquerors, that we are world overcomers. And America will, will proceed as planned to be the greatest nation on the planet. Father, we do have repentance. To, we, we still have repentance. We have to repent. We can't, we can't not repent. But this is what's going to see us through. Seeking your face. Seeking your face. Seeking the answers from you and no one else. No, no man, but from God Almighty. Father, we thank you for strength, for courage. Let us continue to gear up and show up and blast the enemy like he's supposed to be blasted with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. You know, we are praying church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. And we are praying church. Join us on Mondays and Saturdays. And we pray and we pray and we... Come on, Ron. Oh, there's... Okay, come on, Duke. We... um, you know, we come in, we don't just come in and kind of sit around and chew the fat, and it's not a good old boys club. What we do is we come in here with an agenda and with a purpose, and that's to uh, shift the heavens. So this morning, I had to go to mom's, um, you know, she's had some setbacks. Yes. Her legs stay swollen from the knees down. Mm. She can't put a shoe on anything. This morning, I get there, and I can see wrinkles, and not that wrinkles are good, but I see wrinkles in her legs. All the swelling has gone down. Praise the Lord. She... I got her out of the bathroom, and she took about seven steps. Wow. She hasn't walked since January. That so is praise awesome. God. Praise God. Yes. Thank you, Lord. That's great. Hey, no one's going to tell us prayer doesn't work and God doesn't heal, aren't we? But we are, we are a church of prayer, and we believe in prayer. If we didn't, we wouldn't waste our time. And I don't like just coming in here sitting around staring at people. We come in with an agenda. We hit it hard. And we're going hour, hour and a half every time we're together. And uh, we're, we're shifting the heavens is what we're doing. We're seeing things happen. We really are. And I love what Dutch said because several years ago, we, you know, when everybody was talking about revival, and I was a little bit down because so few people seemed to want to come to prayer, you know, for some reason. And I know people pray outside, but, I mean, it's something about coming together. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you don't need everybody. You just need the remnant of people praying. And when Dutch, when we read that or heard that yesterday, it was such a confirmation because, you know, you wonder, well, is that really God speaking, you know? But it only takes two, right? If any two agree. But I, I so believe in prayer, and, and I'm so thankful that we have prayer. We have an incredible intercessory team here at Impact. 
And uh, we've, seen, we've seen people basically come back from the dead when the doctors had given up on them. So I'm so thankful for that. And, uh, you know, I th- the worship was awesome, Dan. Thank you so much. I want to thank Dan and Zach for kind of picking up our slack. You know, we were gone for a couple of weeks and just, you know, doing some stuff, you know, having a heart attack. And, and <laughs> he's just got to do something different every time, you know. <laughs> He just wants attention. <laughs> but God saw him through, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. Yeah, zero damage, zero heart and muscle damage, so that's good news. So sometimes things happen to increase our life, you know. Sometimes we need to know, we need to know a few things. We need a wake-up call sometimes. And uh, so we, we all need to be asking God, God, what do you want me to do differently? I ask him that all the time. God, how do you want me? I just want to think like you do, God. I want to talk like you. I want to act like you. I want to do what you want to do. I don't really want an opinion outside of what God's word says because it's probably not worth much, <laughs> you know, if you think about it. And today, actually, um, you know, I've, I've actually had this ready for a couple, not this particular message, but along this theme a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and I've just felt the Lord wanted me to continue with it. And that's just understanding that we are sons of God. And when I say sons, I'm going to explain that term, sons. But it's talking about sons and daughters. Actually, and I'm going to show you in a moment. It's the word, Greek word technon, which really means children. And it has nothing to do with gender. So when anytime the Bible says son of God, and most new translations now actually are changing that to children or child of God. But it's so important that we understand who we are. It's important that we understand that we are children of God, that we're sons and daughters of God. And, and you know, so what does that really mean to us? You know, why is it even important? Well, number one, it's important because the Bible tells us that we are, right? I, one of my favorite scriptures, John 1, 12, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right. That's the word exousia, exousia, authority. He gave us the authority to be, to be called or to become children, technon of God. So the Bible tells us, 1 John 3, 1 says, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children. And that's what we are. And then we'll see in verse two in a moment that we are now called sons of God. You know, sometimes we might think, well, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to be, you know, no, now we are sons of God. Now, and that were actually, I looked that up in the Greek. That word now is in there, by the way. It wasn't just put in there by a translator. But what happens when we don't really understand our identity? You know, we say it all the time. People, most, of, most of people's problems that come to us for counseling is because they don't know who they are, especially if they're believers. And we have a lot of people that are believers that, are, that come, and, it's, and it's, uh, you know, they're depressed, they have anxiety, all these other things. They don't know who they are. And they're walking in a false identity. But when we don't understand our identity, we live a lie. We live a lie. And, and we begin to take on patterns and attitudes and actions that are inconsistent with who we really are. And we begin to act like someone that we're not. Right? And so, we, you know, we may even begin to believe some things about ourselves that are completely false. And then we begin to live out those beliefs. Things like, I'm a failure. I'm incompetent. I'm never going to be successful. I can't do this or I can't do that or I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or whatever it is enough. I, I, Zach, I'm going to tell your story. I love Zach's story. He said when he was a teenager, he was just kind of, most teenagers, you know, that maybe they don't know what they're wanting, wanting really in life. And he said he was just barely making it through high school until he got born again. See, your identity is wrapped in your purpose. 
And so when he got born again, all of a sudden, he, he becomes an a, a and B student. Same Zach, same brain. What happened? He just got a different view of who he was. He began to see who he really was. And he had purpose. He had purpose. So we come to, we come to have false realizations about ourselves, and, and sometimes we can misinterpret in, in our, our destiny. So we can misinterpret our destiny. You know, and sometimes we can think, well, I'm good at this, so maybe that's what I should be doing. I remember before I got born again, I was, I was working in the laboratory as a technician, and I, you know, I, I was good at it because I love science. After I got born again, all of a sudden things started happening like crazy. I'm getting promotion after promotion. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm over at apartment, then over the, the, uh, the uh, whole textile chemical group. All that because same brain, same Donna. But see, once I got my heart right with God, God began to walk out his plan for my life. But let me tell you, that wasn't my destiny. See, I was good at it, but that wasn't my destiny. And we have to be careful that we don't get misguided about our destiny. David was good at being a soldier and a shepherd. That wasn't his destiny. His destiny was being a king. Joseph was good at interpreting dreams, but that wasn't his destiny. His destiny was to save the nation of Israel in the time of drought and famine. Peter was a good fisherman, but that wasn't his destiny, was it? His destiny was to be a powerful preacher and apostle. And sometimes the things that we're good at are only stepping stones to really get us to that, to that place that God wants us to be. You see, David learned in the, in the pasture, being a shepherd, how to defeat Goliath. Which then got, you know, because he had been anointed king, God saw something in his heart, didn't he? But he was faithful in the ordinary things of life. And that's what we have to understand. We have to be faithful in the things where God, place where God has placed us today. So if we don't understand first and foremost that we are sons and daughters, children of God, then we could fall prey to living a life outside of our God-given status and become shaped and identified by the culture around us. Do I need to say that again? If we don't understand first and foremost that we are sons of God, daughters of God, children of God, we could fall prey to living a life outside of our God-given status, and that's what it is, and become shaped and identified by the culture around us. You need to think about that. Say law. So let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the Bible. That's a good place to start, isn't it? You know, we believe in the Word of God around here, don't we? We believe in the Word of God. Um, oh, I was going to say something, but maybe I shouldn't say that. I know he tells me not to do that. <laughs> oh, I was listening to somebody at 2 o'clock this morning on a podcast. And <laughs> did you turn it off when you came in? Okay. I fell asleep listening to it. Oh, okay. But this person was talking about how they didn't understand the importance of declaring the Word of God. I'm thinking, come on, what is, what is your problem? Didn't understand the... And I could think of 15 different examples in Scripture where... And this is supposed to be a scholar, but anyway. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Not when you die and go to heaven, not next month, not next... Now we are. The, if you're born again, child of God, now we are. And that word now means at this present moment or already, if you look it up. And that word sons, I told you a moment ago, is the word technon child, a son or daughter of any age, sometimes referred to collectively as children. And most translations use that children of God, and, and they use that interchangeably. And I might use it interchangeably today. When I say children, I'm talking about sons and daughters of God. If I say sons and daughters of sons, I'm talking about children. So we are, we are now sons of God. We are now sons of God and daughters of God. 
I want you to say, I am now a son and daughter of God, whatever you are. Now I'm a, now I'm a daughter of God. Now I'm a daughter of God. Okay. So we have to, do we believe that? Well, I can't make you believe it. You can't make me believe it for myself. You have to believe it for your own self, right? That's the, that's the awesome thing, but it helps to come to church around believers who's going to encourage you in the fact that you are a child of God. You know, you, you have, do we even understand fully what that means? I don't know if we had the capacity to understand what that fully means. So let's go back to the very beginning. And I'm going to, uh, you know, I love this. You know, I learned it at Gordon Conwell, your biblical antecedent. What that means is go back to the first place it's mentioned, and then you'll see what God's intentions are. So Genesis 1, 26, 27 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, and I'm going to borrow a little bit out of Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm, and uh, he has a really good point here. Because how many times have we talked about, have you, maybe you've even asked and have been asked, well, what does it mean to be in the image of God? And we probably even come up, with, well, we can think. Well, animals think. My dog, now nobody's going to tell me my dog does not think. We can also make choices. Nobody's telling me my dog can't make choices, right? We can have communication. My dog can talk to me. Let me tell you, my dog tells me exactly what they need, she needs, both of them. So that's not really going to be what it, so being made in the image of God, that really can't really define what that means, can it? I mean, so you're talking about things that we do, you know. So there's a real problem with that, and he brings that out in his book, which I'm not going to go into, but he does, he does bring out a great point. And he said, we run into problems with prepositions in the Hebrew language. We run into problems with prepositions. In the Hebrew language, we interpret in to mean, and he gives these examples. He said, like he'll say, the dishes are in the sink. That means they're in a certain location. Or he'll say, I broke the dishes in many, in many pieces. That means that's the result of an action. Or he might say, I work in the field of education which describes a capacity or function as a teacher. And what he says is, he says that he believes that this should be interpreted, and you'll see I have it in, in italics, instead of in, it should be interpreted as. If we go back and look at the, the, the right language. And, and he says the reason for that, uh, the reason he believes that is because of the dominion mandate that he immediately had following the fact that he said we are cr created as God's image. So let me go back and it says, Then God said, Let us make man as our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the, see, the, the mandate is there. So what does it mean? It means we have to be functioning in a certain capacity in order to have that dominion mandate a possibility in our life. So he said, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man as his own image. As the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So we see that then we are create, we're not created in God's image, but as God's image, which means we are image carriers or bearers or imagers or whatever terminology you want to use. And he's saying that being God's image is not about a set of skills or ability, but it's an assigned status. See, we've got to understand that it's an assigned status that we have given to us. 
It's not about my ability to do something, your ability. It's, we have been assigned a status. When we understand this, there is absolutely zero tolerance for racism. Zero. We're all from the same blood. We might look different. We have different color skin, different color hair, but we're all the same people. And if we don't understand this, then we can, we can start making these divisions. But see, we are, we are all image bearers of God. So we, all of us, and all, we have many different shapes and sizes and colors in here. We're all one. Whoops, we're all one. Because we all bear the image of God. So the last place, a, church, a place that racism should ever be evident is in the body of Christ. If we fully understand what the Word of God is saying, right? So he goes on to say, let me just give you a couple little things that he says. I think it's really, you need to get this book and read it. Um, Genesis 1.26, he said, humankind was created as God's image. If we think of imaging as a verb or function, that translation makes sense. We are created to image God. To be his imagers, it is what we are by definition. The image is not an ability we have, but a status. Doesn't that make you feel special? Should make us feel really special. And then he goes on and says, we are God's representatives. And how many times have we all said this and heard this? We are God's representatives on earth. We've said it so many times. We are, we are, we are, his, we are his representative. We are his ambassador. You know, ambassador has the full privileges of the person who sent them, has the full power, the full authority as the, the person who sent them. And it says, if we think of imaging as a verb, that translation makes sense. Uh, image is not an ability we have, but a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. To be human means we are to image God. Animals don't image God. Right? As much as we love our animals, sorry, they don't image God. Some of us might try to make them little gods, but we can't do that, right? This is why Genesis 1:26, followed by what theologians call the dominion mandate in verse 28. The verse informs us that God intends us to be, on, be him on this planet. We are to create more imagers, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill in order to oversee the earth by stewarding its resources and harnessing them for the benefit of all human imagers. Subdue means to rule over. Isn't that, I mean, it's just, you know, we've said this kind of roundabout for years, but this kind of just blows it out and explains it, doesn't it? It's incredible. So we are God's representatives. We are his authorized agents in the earth. The church is the one who speaks for God or supposed to speak for. The church is the one who, as God's image bearer, has authority over the powers of darkness. Otherwise, we're trying to do it in our own strength, and we can't do it. He goes on to say what it means to be a divine image bearer. It means that both men and women are equally included. This leaves no room for racism, slavery, superiority in any respect. Divine image bearing is what makes humankind distinct from the rest of earthly creation, plants, and animals. There's something about the image that makes humankind like God in some way. This is out of his book. There's nothing in the text to suggest that the, listen to this, there's nothing in the text to suggest that the image has been or can be bestowed incrementally or partially. In other words, I'm not more of a, I'm not more like God than you are, Debbie. I'm not more like God than you are, Karen, or vice versa. Or Deborah, because my skin's a different color. We're equal. We're all image bearers of God. 
Then he says, image bearing is not about a specific or special divine ability, but a divine status we share with God representing him in the earth. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful picture of God's plan for the earth. But what we know, what do we know happened? Sin entered the world, right? Sin entered the world. It didn't change our assigned status. God still had that stamped into mankind. But what it changed was our ability to function because we were started serving another master. And you'll, you'll see in Genesis 9 where God again, after the flood, gave Noah the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. That wasn't just coincidence. He said, my image, you're still my image bearer. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. You're still a son of God. And then we see in Genesis 11 that, you know, the Tower of Babel and there was a disheritance of some sort that God, God scattered the nations throughout the earth. And if you, if you do any reading, you'll see there were evil powers and principalities assigned to those nations. But then we see God is so eager to restore his people. He's so eager to restore He had another plan, and this plan was going to operate through covenant with Abraham. And God would build a covenant people. And through these people, all the nations of the earth would be blessed and reunited. You see God's incredible plan? All the nations of the earth would be reunited in Christ. And then through Christ, all the world would become sons of God who would receive him. So we have to understand that our sonship is found completely in our identity in Christ. It's found in our identity of Christ. It's in Christ we find our ability to walk out our destiny. See, it's in Christ that we can have the power of Holy Spirit. It's in Christ that we are sons and daughters of God. That's our status. That's our status. You think about, you think about the king's kids. Of course, not only right now, the queen's kids aren't acting too good, are they? <laughs> but let's just say they still have status, whether they act very nice or not. <laughs> or whoever. Maybe, maybe our own kids aren't acting so nice. But you, you think about that status, you know, that they have. And, and you know, regardless, uh, God, God never takes that away. He never takes away. You know, that my, my, this is my granddaughter, Ruby Kate from Alabama. She's always going to be my granddaughter when she's perfect, which she is 99.9% of the time, or that 0.1% of the time when she's not. She's still my granddaughter. The status doesn't change, right? And God has given to us a, a destiny to walk in. So what does all this mean? I feel like I'm, I'm feeding out a fire hydrant this morning. But we have to understand this, guys, or we're going to get caught up in all this mess that's going on in the earth. If we don't understand who we are, we're going to get caught up in all of this stuff that's going on in the earth. And we're not going to be able to see that it's light and, it's light and darkness. It's the battle is between light and darkness, and that's who's fueling all of this. It's the enemy's plan because he's still trying to bring division and strife and discord. He's still trying to do it. But we as children of God, we know we see through it, don't we? And we have authority over it. So just a couple, just, I'm just going to give you some quick scriptures here. Understanding sonship. Number one is that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, that's going to blow your mind if we can even grasp that. How in the world could I be a joint heir with Christ? What does that mean? That means if I'm a joint heir with someone, I have equal rights. I have, equal, I have just as much as they have. There's no more, no less, Right? It says in Romans 8, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those led by the Spirit of God. The Bible's very, very clear on this. You don't come into church and become a son of God. You get born again and become a son of God, right? Coming into church doesn't make you a Christian, right? We, right, amen, that's the right answer. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption and by whom we cry out, Abba, Father got two spirits we're talking about a spirit of fear or a spirit of adoption 
The spirit of fear is a spirit of bondage, is a spirit of slavery. He said, you didn't get that again. He said, you got a, you got a spirit of adoption. Don't go back into that mess. And then it goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God's and joint heirs with Christ. This is the word of God, right? If indeed, there's that word if, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. A fellow heir, I gave you a little definition. There's a person who is an heir in the same inheritance as another. Same inheritance as another. And it's clearly the Spirit of God that affirms our sonship with with God. And the Holy Spirit bears witness in our in our spirit. Have you ever been around somebody and you just know their their family, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? You just know it. You feel it. You feel that that spirit in you bears witness with the spirit in them. So understanding sonship, we have we are joint heirs. Another is that we are free from slavery. Galatians 4 tells us. So it is with us when we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. Let me tell you, when a Christian tells you you can't help but sin, that's a lie. That's out of the pit. The devil wants you to believe that. The devil wants you to believe that. He says, but when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment has come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we should know for sure that that we are his children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law. Let me tell you, if you're living under the law, you're living in sin, right? If you're living under the law, you're living in sin. It says, and because we're his, we can access everything our Father has, for we are heirs of God through Jesus, the Messiah. That should make us jump and shout, right? And run around. See, the hostile spirits of the world are those spirits that are anti-Christ, that are trying to control. That's what's going on in the world today. It's it's hostile spirits that are opposed to the will of God and to the will of, of his word. And it's evil and rebellious spirits that are operating. Unfortunately, some of them come to church on Sunday, right? Unfortunately, right? So we're no longer subject to, you know, we're no longer in bondage to the enemy. I mean, I don't know how many of you, when you got born again, things just fell off like that. Maybe some other things you might have had to work on a little bit. But a lot of that has to do with how much we're wanting to let go. But things just fell off just like that. It's, you, really, a dark room becomes light. It's incredible what, what that will, Holy Spirit will do. Another aspect of understanding our sonship is that we're qualified for inheritance. Colossians 1.11 says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. There again, who live in his light. People that don't live in the light don't share in the inheritance. I'm going to have a scripture in a moment that might be a little tough for you, but it's in the Bible. I didn't write it. <laughs> it's in there. Paul wrote it, as a matter of fact. Sometimes people don't like some of the stuff he wrote because it's a little hard, and we try to work around it, massage it, make it non-offensive. But, you know, we don't do that here, right? We just give you the word. 
And it says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Romans 3.24 says, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He has, see, he's declared you a, a daughter of God, Annette. Whether you, now, and you might say, well, I don't feel like a daughter. You're still a daughter. God sees you as his daughter. Well, I don't feel like a daughter. You're his daughter. Everything he has belongs to you. You've got to start walking like it. Walk like you're a daughter of the king. Walk like you're a daughter of God. Expect the promises to come true. Expect the blessings to happen. Galatians 3, another, and we talked about this a second ago, that there is no distinctions in the body of Christ. As sons, as children of God, we're all siblings. Did you know that? We're all, we don't look the same, do we? We, don't, we have different preferences. Some like Mexican, some like salads, <laughs> some like Italian, some like vans, some like dogs, some like cats, right? So we have those distinctions, but as far as value, there are no distinctions. No one has a higher value than someone else. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Listen to this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. I'm going to take a little liberty. There's neither black nor white. Right? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. I'm going to take another. There's neither Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Independence. There's none of those in the body of Christ. It says... For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offsprings. Here's that word, heirs again according to the promise. Heirs again according to the promise. Well, why don't I have the promise? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask God why you don't have the promise? Right? Let me tell you something. You say, well, I don't have the promise because I was born in South Carolina. If that's the case, everybody in South Carolina would not have the promise. Right? If I say, well, I don't do this because I'm female, then every female would not be able to do what I want to do. So we have to look at things. Used to, a guy used to tell me, well, when I get drinking, I, that's when I get mean. I'm not mean unless I'm drinking. I said, if that's the case, then alcohol would make everybody mean. Right? But that's not the case. So we try to make excuses for ourselves, don't we? We try to make excuses for ourselves. God will open a door for you if you'll just believe him. I don't care, male, female, black, or white. He'll open that door for you if you'll just believe him. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So then from now on we have a new perspective that refuse, listen to this, refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Can we possibly even do that as humans? We can because God says we can, but do we? Do we look at somebody and we just size them up? Or do we, do we, don't, we no longer, see the scripture says, Paul says, I no longer evaluate anybody based on their outward appearance. I don't care what color they are, what nationality they are, I don't care if they're rich or poor, slave or free. Their value has nothing to do with that. Their value has been assigned by God. They have an assigned status and assigned value. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. And so, you know, in Christ we are all one. We have to understand that the value God has assigned is, is, is for everyone. It's all is equal. And I believe there's a false narrative that's perpetrating the earth, especially in our nation, causing division and strife and disagreement, and has removed the equality of man and began assigning false identification and false distinctions. Didn't just start this. It's been going on for centuries because there's always that evil force that wants somebody to be beneath them, right? But we have to stand up for what is right. We have to stand up for what is right. 
So in Christ, there's one people, there's one culture. One people and one culture. We have to understand that. Our culture can never supersede the culture of the kingdom, the culture of God. It can never. It's God who qualifies, then who can disqualify you. It's God who ordains and who can reject you if God ordains you. Now, I'm going to give you the tough scripture, okay? This is in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. It says, I wrote to you in my previous letter asking you not to associate with those who practice sexual immorality. Yet in no way was I referring to avoiding contact with unbelievers who are immoral, greeters, swindlers, or those who worship other gods, for that would mean you would have to isolate yourself from the world entirely. How could we reach the world if we're isolating ourselves from the world? But he goes on to say, he says, but you don't want to have fellowship with, you know, light and dark do not have fellowship. We don't isolate ourselves, but they're not our best buddies. That's what I'm trying to say. But now I'm writing to you so that you would exclude from your fellowship anyone who calls himself a fellow believer and practices sexual immorality or is consumed with greed or an idolater, verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't mingle with them or even have a meal with someone like that. Wow. And then it says, yeah, birds of a feather flock together, right? Bad manners corrupt. What right, what right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? We don't have any right to judge those outside the church. That's God's responsibility, Paul says. But those who are inside the church family are our responsibility to discern and to judge. So it is your duty to remove that wicked one from among you. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. We don't do that. What do we do? Well, we don't want them to leave because we, you know, we might hurt their feelings. Well, they might. We might just let them go right into hell by hurting, not not wanting to hurt their feelings, right? John, First John three and four tells us that we prove we are God's children by the love that we have, and also by the fact that we do not sin habitually. Those who are sons of God can be judged based on their actions. Not their value, their actions. You don't judge somebody based on their outward appearance. You judge them based on their actions. Are are their actions consistent with the Word of God? Are they liars? Are they cheats? Are they greedy? Are they immoral? He said, don't even have lunch with them, one translation says, if somebody is that way. So there is a walk in life that is expected because we have that seed of God inside of us. As sons and daughters of God, there is an expectation. See, we have an assigned status. You ever told your kids, walk like whatever your last name is? You're representing the family. I want you to act like you're representing the family. God wants us to act like we're representing him. See, we represent God. What is God? He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's loving. He's caring. We We don't get jealous over somebody else's blessings. That's, that's, we don't get greedy for gain. We don't practice immorality. We say, I don't do that. Well, what are you watching with your eyes? Right? We even had to turn a couple of things off that we thought was safe. Just, I said, I can't, we just, we both said, we just can't do this. And it wasn't really bad, bad stuff, but it was just messing up our spirit. You know, when you start tuning in with God, the least little thing, you'll, you'll pick up on it in a heartbeat, right? Oh, that's not right. That's not, that's not going well with my spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that. Leave it alone. We're no longer in slavery to the evil passions of darkness, but we are led by the Spirit of God who is holy and righteous. 
1 John 3.10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Listen to this. This is strong, isn't it? It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Very clear. We'll know who's a Christian not coming to church. Do they practice righteousness? Quickly, understanding sonship. Just a couple of more. I'm just loading you up with the word, okay? You can get these on uh, podcasts on the notes. So sonship means we come into agreement with God about our identity. We come into agreement with God. Joe at the end, Joe's got a handful, Joe Russell's got a handful of cards that are about our identity. We use them in Luke 14. I want to make sure everybody gets one. I want you to repeat that over yourself. It tells you who you are in Christ, okay? Front and back, great little thing for a Bible. So sonship means we come into the agreement with what God says about our identity. So every time you say, I can't do this, that's not in, a, that's not in agreement with what God, God says. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. See, we don't say our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. No, it might look like it is, but see, God, he says, if my people will repent and turn from the wicked, well, he said, I'm going to heal the land. He also says, if we pray in agreement, we're going to have, because that's God's will, right? So we should be fully expecting our nation to re- revive and to recover. And we should be doing it and not have some of this injustices that's been going on prior to all this all this stuff happening. We, we need... People in our nation need to be free. Everybody needs to have equal opportunity and equal rights. Everyone. So we are joint heirs with Christ. We have the same inheritance. And we operate in a spirit of adoption that says, number one, that all of God's promises for me are true. All of God's promises. Every one of them, every one of us has to say, well, that might be true for Donna G, but it's not true for me. Hogwash. It's true for all of us. If it's in the Word of God, if you're a child of God, if you, if you identify, like I said a moment ago, if you're living in righteousness and you love your brother, every one of these belong to you. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Healing belongs to you. Prosperity belongs to you. Peace belongs to you. The, the safety of your children belong to you. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. If you think about it, if we choose not to believe, I mean, what do we really have other than the word of God? What are we going to look at? What are we going to look to if we don't look to the word of God? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he didn't change his mind about blessing you. He didn't change his mind about all these scriptures that I'm giving you. Number two is that we can live in favor of God and have access to all of his blessings. Ephesians 1.3 says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. Why do you think God wanted us to call him Father? Because we're his children. He, he wants to drill that into our head. You're, you're, not, you're not just some second class. You're his child. We are his children. All of these promises belong to us. Ephesians 2.6 says, And he raised us up together with Christ and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Another great promise. And then thirdly, 
that we can have full confidence of and walk in our authority and our identity in Christ. But it's up to us. It's up to us. Ephesians 2.19, so you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. Now, what part of that scripture doesn't, I mean, there's no exception, is there? Philippians 3.20, but we are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful. 1 John 5.4, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. You know, as a child of God, we have to accept the discipline of God as a loving father. We submit to Holy Spirit as our counselor. When he's telling us, uh, don't go there, don't do this, get rid of that attitude, you need to apologize, whatever it might, leave that alone. That's our Father correcting us, just like we would our children. It's a transformation process. And, you know, we don't give up on our children when they stumble, do we? God doesn't give up on us when we stumble and when we repent. Praise God. And one, Just quickly, I just want to tell you who the greatest enemy against the spirit of sonship is, and that's an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit. I'm going to tell you what, you, maybe you haven't heard of much of that. We talk about it a little bit in Luke 4.18. But that's the spirit of rejection and abandonment. That's the spirit that wants to steal your identity and cause you to doubt who you are in Christ. It's the spirit that wants you to disqualify yourself because, well, I would do this, but, but what? I want to do this, but, but what? I did a message a long time ago that said, get your butt out of the way. (laughs) And it was B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. But we have to understand how we operate and live in a spirit of sonship. It's based on the Word of God. It's based on that assigned status. So you've been assigned. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can take that from you unless you relinquish it yourself. So how do you operate in a spirit of sonship? Number one, you reject any orphan spirit at work in your life. Let me just give you a definition. It's the demonic spirit that causes someone to feel abandoned, lonely, rejected, and isolated. It usually comes when a person has experienced a deep sense of rejection or denial. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe, you know, someone, you know, you've lost a friend. Maybe a family member has misunderstood or whatever, and you get that sense of denial or that wall goes up. The enemy's right there to tell you how lousy you are, how to make you feel that you're not valuable and you're not worthy. So you have to reject it. Then you renounce any lies that come from an orphan spirit. Sound familiar, Luke 418 people? We reject, we repent, we renounce. Anything that comes from the north is lies of rejection. That's why that the card that Joe has, get that card, read it over your life every day. I am a child of God. What I put my hands to prosper. I'm the head and not the tail. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, and the, the, that spirit will want to tell you that God's angry at you. God's holding out. Isn't that what he did to Eve? God's holding out on you. Don't you know you're going to be just like He doesn't want you to be like Him. He's holding out on you. That's what He wants to, That's what He'll say to us. And three, you declare your agreement by concerning your identity in Christ. You receive your sonship by speaking God's identity over yourself. You declare those things that are on that that you possess the mind of Christ and all that you. Joe, would you give me one of those quickly? I didn't hold on to one. Thank you. These are powerful little cars. Great for your Bible. Great to start out your day. 
This is my identity. This is Neil Anderson. Understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential for your success at living a victorious Christian life. See, Satan says you're a sinner because you, you sin. God's truth says you're a saint, one declared righteous. Satan says your identity comes from what you have done. God says your identity comes from what God has done for you. Satan says your identity, becomes, identity comes from what people say about you. God says your, your identity comes from what I say about you. He says, Satan says your behavior tells you what to believe about yourself. God says your belief about yourself determines your behavior. And that's what we were saying. If you believe that you're the righteousness of God, then you're going to act like it. Right? And then there's full of just scriptures. I am accepted. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with God. I am bought with a price. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. And then I am secure. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured all works together for good. Why? Because I'm called according to the purposes of God. Because I'm part of God's family. Therefore, all things will work together. And I'm not going to sit here and read all this. It's significant. I am the salt and the light of the earth. Do you believe that everywhere you go, you are light going into dark places? Everywhere you go? Can we believe that? That I am a branch of the true vine. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. See, you've, you've been assigned. Your destiny is to, to be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply. To subdue the earth. Which means that's a potential for success depending upon what you do. What we do. See, God might send a potential your way. And you just sit there and say, well, that's nice, but I don't really want to do it. You know, God sends another opportunity your way. Well, that looked nice, but that's just too much time. Or God might say, might me pushing you to do something. Well, I don't really want to do that. It's going to interfere with my movie time. I mean, believers think like this. See, we, we, we've got to get in alignment with what God says about us. And we can approach. Let's stand, if you will. I just want to ask you. Have any of you ever today, do you feel insecure? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel, do you have bouts of anger or rage? Are you overly critical? Do you feel like your, your ability or your value, excuse me, is determined by what you accomplish rather than who you are? That's a biggie for me. I, that's something I have struggled with all, all my life that my value, my identity is associated with what I do rather than who I are. Well, God's setting me free from that. He's setting me free from that. Because you know what? I, you never, you can never do enough. You can never do enough. When you reach a certain place, I remember, I think, oh, I'd just like to be at this place. I get there and thought, well, is that all there is to it? Well, I'm going to go for the next place. It's never enough. And you drive yourself nuts because you, in your own mind, you never measure up. You see, God says you're more than enough. And, you know, the blessings of the Lord make rich, and he adds no sorrow to it, neither does toiling increase it. That's a scripture the Lord had to give to me. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich. Blessings of the Lord maketh rich, but neither does toiling increase it. What's he saying? Rest in me. Have your trust in me. It's incredible the opportunities we see just dropped in our lap, just incredible, even through COVID. We're just sitting here just 
chugging right along and God just drops a couple of things right in our lap. We're thinking, wow, God. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just incredible what God does. Does anybody, anybody feel like you've ever struggled or maybe you're struggling today with a sense of insecurity or maybe not feeling like you're enough? Anybody? Okay, just raise your hand. I mean, you don't, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. We're going to do our social distancing. God, you know, God will answer prayer with social distancing. And he'll answer prayer whether you have a mask on or not. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to pray it over you for you, okay? And for myself. So I want you to just extend your hands to the Lord. Say, God, I, I'm, you know, you're, what you're doing is you're simple. I need you, God. So, Father, we just reject any orphan spirit that's at work in the life of your people. We reject a spirit of abandonment, a spirit of rejection. We reject, Father, a spirit of loneliness, of, 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 of insecurity, of not being enough, of looking to others for approval. God, we look to you and you alone. So we, we rebuke that spirit, uh, that orphan spirit that's trying to, to cause us to think lower of ourselves than you have even assigned to us. Father, we're not buying his lies. Father, we declare that we believe what you say about us. We are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. We have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. We walk in that power. We walk as righteous believers. We walk as sons and daughters. We hold our head high. We represent you well. Thank you, God. And, Father, we renounce any lies that have come from that orphan spirit by trying to convince us that we are not enough. We break the power of those lies in Jesus' name, and we replace them with the truth of God's word. We thank you, Father, for it. And, God, we declare that we are in agreement now concerning our identity in you. God, that we walk in that agreement. We receive our sonship that you have given to us, Father. You have assigned us the status of a son and a daughter of God. We receive that in Jesus' name. We're not allowing our status to be affected by what others have said, what the enemy has said, what others have thought by our past mistakes. We've all done them, Lord. We're taking our status from you, Father God. Our status as we're sons and daughters of the Most High. Father, we thank you, Lord, that there is nothing impossible for children of God, that there is nothing impossible. God, we thank you for it. We also thank you, Father God, that there's no shelf life on your promise. God, whether you're 20, 40, 60, 80, 90, doesn't matter, God. We're still a child of God, and we still accomplish the things you put in our lives to accomplish. We have great value. We don't, our value doesn't diminish as we get older. God, we know that when things get older, the value increases, but not in your eyes, Lord. We thank you, Father. And, Lord, I just pray blessing upon every person in this place today. I pray peace upon every person in this place today. Father, we just, we just rebuke any spirit of division, strife, or discord, any spirit that we'd be trying to speak that, that I'm not enough or, or that I'm too much. Father, we, we, any spirit that would cause strife and discord, God, we rebuke it in the mighty name of Jesus. We will not allow it to take residence. And, Lord, we just praise you. We bless you. We thank you, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Give everybody an air high five. Be blessed. Tomorrow.